Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club podcast. Today I have with me Billy Brown. Billy is a two-time Amazon best-selling author, alternative investment strategist and facilitator, and founder and CEO of the most talked about private club in Nashville, the Golf Sanctuary. Billy, thanks so much for joining me today. Brian, great to be here, man. Excited to be here and have a conversation with you about uh, life and economics and investing, and this is going to get fun. Yeah, we're going to get into it. And it's always fun to, to do it with somebody in my own backyard. We've met a handful of times we got connected through a mutual friend in this kind of growing Nashville community of real estate, alternative investment, deal club type world that is exploding locally, as as you're well aware of. But before we get there, how does a, a golfer from Oklahoma get into doing private deals in Nashville? The- I don't think we have long enough to, to get to that full story, but it was it was interesting. Obviously, I, I use the word failed golfer a lot. It's part of the book, one of my titles of my chapters, the, the failed, uh, failed golfer. And we learn a lot from our failures, don't we? But uh, through that, I, I, I figured out what I was good at, wasn't, wasn't good at. And I'm really good at connecting and I'm really good at seeing stuff that other people do. And the connecting the ideas and connecting people to money and money to deals, it just came natural to me. It was giving us opportunity. Oh, I guess starting in mortgage, which I got hired because I, the owner of that company was actually going to be an investor to go get me back on a tour in 2008 in the fall. So everyone here is of that age, like knew what happened fall 2008, a little bit similar mm-hmm. is going on right now. <laughs> he had to back out and I didn't have any money left. So I had to go beg for a job as far as like, hey, I'll clean toilets. I mean, we're talking broke, broke, like $10 and your chicken cow broke. So I learned finance, learned mortgage, learned debt markets and strategy and and uh, what the rich people want and sort of figuring it out from there. 2019, I kind of broke out on my own to do some debt for commercial and love commercial. One way, syndicated it an apartment complex myself, an office complex, and then the golf sanctuary, which we'll talk about here in a second. But yeah, it was just idea after idea. And great things happen when you pursue your ideas and your visions and your, your dreams and people come into place and it kind of unfolds. That's the fun thing. And especially about Nashville, we have so many great people here that are so willing to help people with no really compensation. Like, cool. Like, here's my database. I love your vision. Let's go. How can we make it help? And, and it's the, the, the giving mentality is makes it, makes it fun. So I want to dig into a comment that you just threw out there. You got into this business right after the great recession, 08, 09, would love to hear what that experience was like, but we're recording this in 
middle of 2022. Many people think we're already in a recession. If not, we're very close. We're in a you know bear market technically now, and mortgage rates have gone from a two or a three handle to I think I saw that they just hit a new high. Yeah, they're in the sixes now. First time since I think like the 90s, maybe. So, are there actual simulators there? I mean, how are the debt markets? feeling to you, given that you've been through this ride before? I'll give you two sides of it. No, knowing my my commercial lenders the way I do, we have those honest conversations. They're actually, there's a little bit of sigh of relief because it's like it's, they've been sprinting since 2017, 2018. And if you look at where you know yields were then, or we're bad on parts going up just a little bit. So like, hey, when everything's going in the world and going, you know, on a handbasket, like, well, no, look back five years. That wasn't that long ago. Like this is what it was. Now we're trending the wrong other other way. But they've been on such a sprint, like with the resource and cat and capital getting money cycling out there, they're kind of glad for a little break, quite honestly. The other part of it is lenders don't care what their interest rates are. They're gonna make a spread off of it anyway. So if the deal makes sense, they're going to make they're going to make money. What's going to happen, and always happens in a downturn, you got two things in the, that you're going to watch for. One is your commercial, your bank banks, depository lenders are usually the first ones that kind of go into hiding, so to speak. They're the I call them the giraffes <laughs> or ostriches, really. So, you know, the the first scary thing happens like they put their head in the sand. Nashville is a little bit different because like it's we're so powerful here, we got so much going on. I don't think they're going to be as reluctant to go lend, but they also have a lot of money in their, in their deposit. They have to go lend. So it's, it's, they're actually kind of a little worried too, because they will, what are we going to do here? The other non-depository guys are still looking for, for deal flow. Absolutely still looking for it. There's, they're just going to be a little more selective on their leverage, selective on their cash flow, DSCR coverage, but the, the interest rates handle that. So it actually, it makes the deal actually safer than interest rates are out. So most people around here may not be in this world of like, they're looking at, at rising interest rates, like panic world, and the lenders are actually kind of okay with it. You know, and the investors are, if you're, if you're a good investor, you're actually really excited about it because it's going to weed out all the amateurs. Right. I mean, this is the question we get from investors, you know, the most right now is what does a rising interest rate environment mean for me as a sponsor or an investor? And, you know, one of the main talking points I have is, well, Investor returns are going to go down, right? Because my cost of capital is going up. And to your latter point, I think there'd be some really good buying opportunities in the next three to six months because broken deals, sponsors that don't have really good debt relationships, that don't have good track record, that aren't able to put and execute on transactions, sellers are still willing to to come to market. I think many of them want to get off before a recession occurs. So I do think it's going to be a little bit rocky, but there may be some really good, and I'm speaking on the commercial side. I can't really speak to the residential side, but that's kind of what we're seeing starting to play out, repricing, retrading, some deals falling out, sellers coming back to market. Cap rates are starting to move within some asset classes, multifamily for the most part. But to your point, I think a big misunderstanding is, you know, spreads are what they are. And historically, if you take a 50, 100-year view of this, rates are still very low on a historical basis, right? Oh, yeah. This is sort I mean, the macro view helps us relax and not, you know, not lose sleep at night. There's other reasons to lose sleep, but that's not one of them. You're starting to see a little bit of cap rate. I'm not going to call it bouncing, but it's relaxing a little bit. You know things are going well when you actually have commercial brokers call you back and call you unsolicited to see if you want to buy something. <laughs> And the same thing, we're actually getting on the, on the on the debt side, actually getting our lenders to reach out to us. Good, hey, what do you got in the pipeline? You know, we can actually look at because they're starting to see a little bit of deal flow or relax a little. But it's it's that this that tide of rising interest rates, the prices of your assets you're buying aren't quite matching that. So there's a little tumultuous stuff there, and then you got the the domino effect of these transactions where these guys that got in stuff three years ago, they're just going to flip a flip a property. At whatever, you know, five cap rate, now it's not going to be a five cap rate, maybe a five and a half cap rate. And that doesn't get the returns they need for their investors. So now they got to hold on to it. So they got to turn that bridge debt into perm debt, which now doesn't pencil. So now it's the, that's the opportunity you're about to see with a lot of these investors. 
to come in and rescue deals. And also the, the, the daisy chain of the deals of that guy that was going to sell it, had another deal lined up, they're going to 31 into. Now that daisy chain has stopped. There's a break in it. So it's going to get really interesting here. But, you know, where it's interesting, there's opportunities and for, for the sponsors and all that. And that's for the call the retail investor, anyone else out there to be able to participate in these deals and get some pretty good yields on the opportunity buys. Yeah. I mean, I think the days of just being able to pencil in an arbitrage between your cap rate and your debt and get a nice little yield are probably over for now. I think you need to start looking at quote unquote real real estate opportunities with some value add components and actually doing the work, but there are still some great opportunities out there on the residential side. Any concern about some of these folks that had put on interest only adjustable rate deals that they just were never paying the principal down. And now, you know, their borrowing rates are going to go up 200, 300 basis points. And they just never expected that to happen. Are you feeling or seeing any of that occurring in the residential space? No, quite. I mean, they're, Again, market to market, side to side. Most of the people who have done that are sophisticated, and the way that that is underwritten at the level, they actually do have a shock rate in there to underwrite, and it's usually two hundred to three hundred. That's what they usually do. But for most of these people, they're not over leveraged. The underwriting's been very, very tight for a while. It's been very tight, and then more. I'm going to call it common sense of what's going on in the marketplace. I'm not worried about that at all. Nashville and specifically like these multi-million dollar homes, they're being built on on spec. They're still being eaten up by people selling their homes in California and paying cash for them. So I'm not, <laughs> not really worried about that. Some local stuff though, where you go into that, call that mid-tier, that the house that was, was $350,000 three years ago, that's now supposedly $600,000. That's going to come back down to probably about five fifty. dollars I don't want to see people doing... Pay overpaying for something because the only one that that house is worth six fifty is if interest rates are three and a half. You go to six and a half or seven, seven and a half, which is probably going to really going to be at the end of the year. You know that's squeezing a lot of people out on that that normal W two hundred fifty thousand dollars household income in in the Nashville area. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. Well, and, and this is a good segue because I wanted to get into what you do a lot of bridge work, right? Bridge lending. What are you seeing in that space right now? What kind of what kind of coupon can people get? Are there good opportunities, and how does it compare to the 08 kind of plus to twenty ten timeframe? Well, I mean, you get look at 08, where I mean, there's a whole again, well, similar there's not too too deep to go into, but there was lack of liquidity. There was a lot of liquidity, and then there wasn't because all of a sudden they realized the paper that they were selling on Wall Street really wasn't the paper that they were promised. It wasn't. You know, a, a, a 480 credit score is not a paper for these guys. So that kind of seized up the credit market quite quickly. Now it's on the commercial world, that bridge lending stuff, they're chasing that yield because they still have to make that spread. You know, they still have to honor their investors, which they're paying the investors, you know, four to seven. So they're getting a you know, four to five spread on that. So they're 10 to 10 to 12 on the bridge debt. Some of the, the, the bigger stuff in multifamily, yeah, you can get the fives and sixes, but the the bridge debt is where it's going to be to get that yield. You know, we do a lot of stuff on the private private side. These guys are don't necessarily want to put their money into, you know, a, an institutional deal. They want to do something on their, on their own, in and out. 10 to 12 yield is normal. You may get that up to 13, 15 with, with points and all that, but that's about what you can expect. Now, if interest rates do tick up a little bit more, another 200 basis points, that may go to a little bit higher. But for right now, and those investors can pay it, it can absorb it. They're finding good deals. I mean, we're doing a $12 million deal, and it's going to be a, probably a 12, 13 coupon for one year. And they, they can shock and, and do probably 17 or 18 if, if needed. But I mean, you're not going to charge that. There's no, no need to. And those are fully collateralized? Yeah. Yep. By by the dirt and the the deal itself. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of where we, we play in the space is we're the, we truly are the bridge. We have these lenders that like the deal. Sometimes they're bank lenders, sometimes not bank lenders. Something's just a little bit off on it and it needs to be right size before that true lender will take it down with dirt, whatever, that daisy chain of lending. So not just like one size fits all for those watching don't know about it. Each lending is a tool. So they, some lenders might like the ground up construction that we'll want to actually acquire. So we'll come and acquire it and then been taken out by the ground up construction people. And that's the, the start of the daisy chain. So that's already take that takeout's already there. And we usually match the terms of that takeout lender. So if they're at 70% leverage, we'll be at 70% leverage. That way it's just a straight trade off their paper. And so along this vein, you're in the mortgage business. You've got this golf background. Both of these things lend themselves to massive networking, right? I mean, very proactive, creating communities. That's how you get deal flow. That's how you find opportunity. There's the hustle part of it. Could you maybe speak to how you've been able to create such a, a vibrant private investor community? I add value. That's, I mean, it, it, it's as simple as that. I mean, those that are out there that are professionals, doctors, attorneys, you know, alternative investments, strategists like yourself, you add value. What I saw, what year is it, 2022, six years ago or so, is there was a lack of education for investors going from that mortgage world, Fannie Freddie, to commercial. And they were shocked by it. And we get, kept on getting the calls. And we're like, no, that's not how this works. And I was getting upset because like, why don't you know this works? And I looked out in the marketplace going, well, that's because no one's teaching them. So I started a newsletter on Monday, Mondays, it's almost six years ago, and just started writing to that and educating them on what it looks like to be, to go from Fannie Freddie Lending Commercial, what do you need to go do? How do you go analyze deals? How do you go buy stuff? And start adding that value and that database has grown organically. And I send that on the worst time that you go send it, which is 9 a.m. on Monday mornings. And I have a very high open and read rate because people are looking for that education. I'm like, well, how do I go do this? Because my banker is not going to tell me how to go do this. The banker doesn't freaking care. You know, you, if you're trying to fill out a, go from filling out a, a 1003 to, to a, a PFS, the banker is not going to show you how to go fill out a PFS the right way to go. And they're not going to show you that if you fill out the wrong way, that deal's getting thrown out by the underwriter immediately. And your deal's cooked. So we started writing to that. And long story short, it's, it's led to a lot of, a lot of conversations. I don't make any cold calls. People reach out to us for that education. We do consulting and not just debt. And then we have a mastermind around this because we can't facilitate every loan. We, because we've created this community, we can be selective about the stuff we want to go do that's in our wheelhouse and be very high profit, low headache, especially candidate investing. And the rest of the time we're just loving and serving. And through that consulting, through that education, so people feel valued, and then they can take that information on their own place, go place their own debt. But uh, yeah, it's it's all it's just all adding value where where value is needed. And and I can say from personal experience, I can attest to the generosity that Billy has. We initially met through a, a New York friend of mine, a really smart private equity guy that I respect a ton. And uh, I was shocked that we didn't know each other. Yeah. And you hosted me at your club. We're going to get into that later to this terrific lunch. And then I think you've had me over once or twice more for what I would refer to as serendipitous networking, just like-minded individuals. You host, don't let anybody pay. You treat us to this great lunch, food, dinner, drinks, and then meet people and facilitate these introductions. And truly the center of influence model, right? Where you're... You're creating value, providing educational content. You're facilitating ways for people to meet like-minded investors, affinity networking, et cetera. And we both kind of have this mindset of good things will come from that, right? Introductions, deals, you're top of mind. It is a slow burn, but certainly the right way to do business, in my opinion. Well, and that's, and that's what it's about. The, you know, the whole transactional mindset of, of folks and you kind of see this in the Northeast. You see this a little bit on the West Coast of like, I'm just going to, you know, go for the jugular and kill you and get the deal and, and make my money and show it off on Instagram. And there you go. And you leave everything in your wake. And that's not, I don't say that's not the Nashville way. That's not the way I was taught because 
I want to add value. I want to be transformational, you know, and it's, and I can't be every transaction you need because otherwise I'm a commodity. If I'm transformational, now I'm a center of influence and I can, it can impact your life. And that opens up to so many different things because I'm not just a commercial debt winner. I just don't own these clubs. I'm an investor. There is things that we're doing in a bigger, grander scale that's really freaking cool. And we want to invite those people who are like-minded in our world to go do life with us and be able to have, create business around our life, not life around our business. And that's just by doing that and, and bringing those cool people in and just learning from everyone and like, hey, Brian, meet JR, JR, meet Brian. You guys are the same world and I know you guys can add value to each other and then that network just explodes. And, and because of that and because of who we are, we're able to take the networking knowledge and wisdom experience and go impact our database and our people to look for us to go help them, guide them through this crazy world. Like they may be freaked out or like, we're not freaked out. We've seen, we've seen this before. Like, it's going to get a little scary, but like, I'm not freaked out. So here's the question. One of my first introductions to real estate people that come into town from California, New York, Chicago, like all these people migrating to Nashville is to intro, you, is intro them to you and get them into your ecosystem. Because I know you'll take good care of them. And like you said, this waterfall effect, all these crazy things will happen. That'll be good for them. How do we guard against becoming one of these major markets where we are this zero-sum New York trade your grandmother for a shekel type mentality that you know, the reason I left the Northeast, honestly, if you've been seeing any of this culture creep happening, I mean, you've got a real good oh, yeah. pulse on this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't happen long. It's, it's, it's the world. There, there's this the group of people that, that are our age <laughs> that have grown up here and have hustled to get where they're at and by treating people well, they hustle to treat people well. And that's why they've grown their database. The office that I'm in right now is because of a relationship I had with an attorney and I needed a place to go office at. I guess we got this place at Brentwood Come over here. So I'm now in a group of attorneys, an old little mastermind over here of like, I could ask questions because I treated these people right. If you treat people wrong in this community, especially in real estate, it's a small world and you will get ostracized very quickly and everybody knows each other so much so that every time I see some of these deals come across my table from like, Oh yeah, I got this deal wherever. And it's uh, this one. I was like, yeah, I know exactly what it's about. There's, there's one, I'm not going to say that, that who it was, but it's on Buchanan street. One of my friends, friends, investor buddies are going to buy it. He started looking at it and I went, texted a friend. I was like, is this so-and-so? So he goes, yeah, that's the address. I was like, cool. I know everything about this thing. And, and that's the, your, your representation precedes you, whether it's good or bad. So if you start coming in here burning people or like you're, you're stepping in here from wherever, Chicago, or, you know, pick on Chicago people. But <laughs> if you have that cutthroat mentality, wherever you're from, to be from Nashville even, you're not going to last very long because the, the community here is so tight. The, the people that want to do business with each other, I mean, put it this way. If I've got a good deal and I'm going to go sell it, I'm going to sell it to my friend. Because I know that's going to come back to me and be uh, reciprocated. I'm not going to sell it to you because it's transactional. I want to do, have those relationships. So let's talk about this next evolution of your kind of real estate business, your love of golf, being married together in this golf sanctuary concept. It's funny because when we first met, we got introduced over email. And you said, I'd love to host you for lunch. I don't say no to free lunches. And... <laughs> You know, you gave me this address and uh, it was not far from my house. And I knew exactly kind of the part of town and I put in my GPS on terrible directions. I roll up there and I did like two circles around the building. There's no signage. And I, I was like, I wonder if he sent me the wrong address or maybe I'm just confused or turned around. And then so I just park, I walk in and it's bam, like this whole world that you step into, could you maybe just describe the golf sanctuary <laughs> idea, how it came about, if, what the concept is and everything? I'm sorry for those that are just listening in and don't, don't see me, me laughing over here because it, it is it's fun. I'm sure it happens every time. But, but, uh, yeah. it is by, it's on, it's intentional. And, yeah. and for those that don't play golf, I apologize. These that do, do play golf are going to get it really quickly because every great club out there does not have a sign or if they have a sign, it's very small. But anyway, the, the whole concept of this was I was frustrated because I play professional golf 
and I wanted to play more golf. And I had this thing called golf guilt. Raise your hand if you have golf guilt. You, then that means you're like, you want to go play golf, but you feel like when you go play golf, you should be doing something else. Therefore, your golf game sucks. And you're like, halfway through, you quit and go back to your, you know, your day job. And now you're miserable because you can't go play golf because you feel like you should be working. Some people older really don't care. You know, they get that hall pass, but with a young family, like, like I couldn't do it. So how do you combine business and your passions in a profitable way? And for us that are in that world of real estate investing and just capital raising all that, lunches are the number one place to go to, lunches and coffee. God help me if I have to go to lunch with someplace that I just do not want to go. And like, it's loud, it's crowded, I can't hear well. I'm trying to figure out who this person is. I'm a little bit guarded because everyone can hear them. And it's not a place you feel safe if you're one of those high network people to go open open the kimono, so to speak, and go, here's what I need help with. So the thought there was, well, why not combine all of them? And, and the reason was, I mean, Nashville specifically has a lot of people moving here, 100, 120 people moving here a day. We've got a little bit of a land grab going on. I think every single piece of land is, is spoken for. So there's no more golf courses being built. And every single golf course that is here is full. And their waiting list is full. So I'm no economist, but when demand is greater than supply, <laughs> it's opportunity. Simple guy from Oklahoma, you know, just go. <laughs> it's always like, it kind of makes sense. So like, how do you go create that? So this concept of a indoor private country club came, came to be, and it really caters. I mean, it's very selfish. Quite honestly, it's very selfish. I wanted to, I wanted to create a sandbox for the people I want to do business life with around a game we mostly love. We're creating community around that. So the great golfers that are competitive. So I have those come in my place. We did that last night. It's a blast. So the the boys being boys type thing. It's a play, safe place for business leaders and their and their families. So I didn't really want to top golf indoors. Nothing is top golf, but I don't want the drunk drunk bachelorettes next to me when I'm talking to you or someone else about these, you know, multi multi million dollar deals raising capital for that could be on the hush hush. So we we created this club and it's pretty dang cool. And, and it's the kind of combination of what I needed immediately, but also what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Because we, we saw in 2020 what happens in life when there's too much of something called government and things are restricted. You know, we had friends die. We had friends lose their businesses. Life is freaking short. If it's the, I'm going to work then mentality, which is what I taught it was been taught my entire life. And I'm waiting to say a second is why it was like very personal to me. Then sometimes it doesn't happen. My dad and mom never took a vacation that didn't revolve around business for 30 years. Then he lost his, his, job, his business and starting in 1987. And I think 1995, 96, we declared bankruptcy and then it's lost it. And then 2013, he died of cancer. There was no then. So those of us that delay that, that delay your application, you work, then you go retire and there's no life in between. I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't be that model for my, myself or my daughter. So the question there was, well, how do we create and in our life? How can we create business and incomes and massive wealth and at the same time around things that we love to do with the people we love doing with? And that's where the golf sanctuary can all tie together of, yeah, that's that, but the whole picture of, well, now what? You know, we, we're, we're doing this. Here's our, here's our tribe. Here's our people we want to go do life with. Now what? And the things that are opening up for us as far as like, we're a club of clubs. I didn't really realize this, but we're a club of clubs. Every single club around the area is here. Now we get free rounds and all that to all these cool golf courses. And then from there, it's the other network of, well, where do you want to go? Charleston. And we go down there to Kiwa. You want to go to stream song, you want to go wherever it is, our members are members of those places. And now it becomes a hell of a lot of fun. And you start adding on to that of what we're, what we're doing. So that's the, the passion project of, and how creating and in my life where I can go to the alignment of things that I want to do with the people I want to do and create value that leads to monetary compensation. And, and it's, it becomes fun, but yeah, the club is, club's a blast. It's just, yeah, and it, the signs of address, like, like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> yep, you get it. Yeah, it's cool. And I love the ability to kind of do well and do good. And that line between work and play gets 
gray in a good way, right? Where just good things happen when you're getting good people together. What are some of the biggest lessons learned (laughs) from trying to create a membership-based community around this type of activity? I'm sure you've, you've had some, some potholes stepped in, but maybe some undiscovered gems you didn't realize would have occurred. Well, I mean, the, the first one was if you, in Nashville, they, they call it the muse. Uh, you've, you've heard it. These songwriters that, that get together and all of a sudden the song just comes to their heart and they write it in 15 minutes. It's like, wow, where did that come from? And when you go hear it as a, a listener and an artist, you hear that song for the first time and you go and you feel like you've heard it a thousand times before, but it's brand new. It's because it's in the universe. It, it, it resonates with you. The golf sanctuary resonates with those that are their business leaders and, and golfers because there's no more time left. Time's our biggest commodity, not money. So when, when, I, when people see it, they're like, oh my God, thank God. I thought about this, but didn't do it. And I can't tell you how many times I, I've heard that. I thought about it, but I didn't. When we did this, we stepped out on a limb in the middle of COVID to go do this. It was amazing what transpired and what was just opened up from us from the location to even the domain to the people. So the encouragement there of no matter what's happening in the world, if you go pursue your dreams and what's on your heart, people, things will happen for you, not to you. The other one was leveling up. And again, I mean, I kind of grew up in the Dave Ramsey world of minimum viable product you just bootstrap and you just try to do the best, the best you can and you do perfect concept and then you launch. And I got around to people who showed me a different mindset of, no, if you want to cater to this world, you got to go up here. It's like, if this is your clientele, you put this up here and, and raise it one level and you'll get them. So everything we do is to that. Every decision we make, every, every person we hire is around that. And it's amazing who we're attracting. I mean, there's, and there's a reason why we did the no sign, no address, shades drawn. And you walk inside, there's no, there's no videos, there's, there, there are pictures. It's not because we, we want to take a, uh, keep a little bit of the IP private, but there's people in there where they're famous on the outside of those walls. When they come in here, they're just, they're just Brian. They're just Billy. They just, they just want to have that sanctuary where they exhale and go, God, that's, Thank you. I just want to work my game. I just want to have a great meal. I just want to hang out with my friends. And I don't want to worry about what the hell's going out there as for my celebrity world or my CEO or whatever. I just want to come in here and be me. And that's what we created. So so those are some lessons there of just leveling up, trusting your heart, and and just taking those action steps. The business stuff is just business stuff. You know, you've adapt. But it's been it's been fun. It's been fun. And the long-term vision for the concept? Quite honestly, it's global, billion-dollar company. It will be the largest private indoor country club ever. And by the way, this has never been done. Like, there's a similar type of concept in Atlanta that's pretty cool, but it's a little more, a little more corporate than what, we, what we're doing. And they're great. I mean, we, I'm not disrespecting them. It's just a different model. But globally, what we have done as far as a membership model has never been done. We conducted the first indoor member guest tournament like you would have had at a, a private country club this spring, and it went amazingly. No one's ever done it. So a lot of the stuff we're doing is like, it's never been done before. So like, you know, we're, we're okay failing because it's like, no one's done it before. So how do you know it's going to work? I don't know. Just try it. You know, and, and, and it's the great thing about being a, being a golfer. Those that aren't golfers, playing from the trees does not intimidate us. So it's like, okay, it didn't go where we wanted to. We're going to, we're going to redirect and go forward. It's all those adjustments. Now, now as a startup, our adjustments are like this, you know but we're certainly getting centered in on, on who we are and what we're doing. And it is, it is so much fun. It's so much fun to see the team gel. It's so much fun to see the members gel. It's, uh, it's fun to see where things can go. So I want to touch a little bit on, you know, you referenced it earlier this pro golf world that you lived in for a, a period of time, you know, could you just provide some color and commentary on what that world looks like for people who maybe they only know this PGA 
And I want to get into the live thing a little bit and just hear your, your thoughts there. But oh, yeah, yeah. T- people who think, oh, you know, pro golf, like the masters, could you maybe give us a dose of reality, what it looks like on the other end of the spectrum, the, the, the grind and, and what that, what that day to day is? Yeah. So like, where do I start? I'll give you these great examples. Scott's Bluff, Nebraska. So I was playing, it's called mini tour golf. You basically throw much money in the pot. It used to cost you back then, you know, three years ago, or 20 years ago, it cost you about 15 to $2,000 a week to go play before you're at home expenses. So between the entry fees, travel, all that, you live as poor as you can, two or three guys to a room. And you're playing these little podunk places like Scott's Bluff, Nebraska. My, my travel buddy, who was from Houston, we drove up through Oklahoma uh, all the way to the West Scottsdale, Nebraska, and this is pre-internet, and uh, he was in charge of getting the, the hotel that week, and we're pulling in, and it's just literally this Bates Motel-looking thing <laughs> and, uh, across the railroad tracks, and I'm like, dude, seriously, we're going to get killed here. <laughs> and he's looking at the fully map and all that, it's like, no, we're going to get killed, killed. He goes, no, 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 look, look, look. They get landscaping. We're good. <laughs> That's when you know you're at a classy place. They have landscaping outside. 20, $25 a night. Double mm. <laughs> double beds. And anyway, so like Scott's Bluff, Nebraska, to come on this Nebraska, playing for, you know, first place, you know, four or $6,000. And uh, you're just trying to, you're just trying to make it to the next week. So you can keep on rolling the dice until you find that hot streak. And then you go try Q school or something like that to get a PJ tour. Like Brant Snedeker was one of those guys that had enough time and got hot at the right time to go do it. I can't remember the year um, right off the top of my head, but I actually played in front of him in the U.S. Open qualifier, and he was playing horrible on the FNWeb.com tour. Horrible. I don't think he like made a cut, didn't really make much money. He was just in a big slump. Plays in that thing, I may we may have tied or whatever. I was just you know, amateur. Not playing really good. And he goes back home, gets some lessons, and then comes back out and wins three in a row, which got him to the PGA Tour, and then wins the event in Torrey Pines. And then I think either that year or next year, he went won the FedEx. So just like that, he went from probably looking at a job someplace, it was dad, to winning three in a row, earning his PGA Tour card for the next two years, playing well on the PGA Tour, and then FedEx Club Champion, Ryder Cups, President's Cups, all that. Just like that. One guy. Everyone else, I mean, I'm one of those guys that would have gone and probably did go back home and go, yep, I'm done. Can't do it. It's like I can't do the grind. It's just not fun. But it's uh, it's fun because you have the experiences. It's not fun monetarily. Golf is a game. It should be enjoyed. <laughs> not a business model, which we'll get into a live, live and all that. But for those that can go do it and do it at a high level, they reach rewards. But those guys that don't make it, man, it's a, it's not a fun world. Not a fun world. Anyway. So what are your thoughts about the PGA Tour, this new Saudi-backed live tour, the much, much different business model, which I didn't appreciate. My, my brother-in-law played golf at the Naval Academy, very you know high-level golfer, still very involved in the sport, played with some guys that are now on the tour kind of thing. And I didn't really appreciate that the fact that the structure of the current PGA tour is really to help the lower and middle end players much more than it is the high end players, which is the draw for the most part. I didn't really appreciate that. I'm not, I don't track golf as closely. So what's your commentary on, on this, this, this new business model, this new tour, do you think the PGA is in trouble? How do you think this is going to play out? Well, it, it is fascinating. And again, I'm not going to first, first foremost, I'm not taking sides. I am an observer and from a lover of the sport, lover of competition, a lover of business and what's about to happen and vision. This actually goes back a little bit further to NLI contracts and, and, and using amateur athletes images to grow the, the net worth bank accounts of NCAA schools. So like, what, how is that fair? Now it's trickling down to golf where you can actually have sponsorships and pay for stuff. Because all they did was, hey, great, we're going to use your likeness and all that. You're going to get nothing except a college scholarship, which you know, for those that are around, it may or may not be worth something right now. You know, There's a lot, of, a lot of debate there. To now where you're going, okay, well, 
what do you do as a golfer, as an amateur status? Because golf, golf has two governing bodies. One is NCAA, the other is USGA. So when you do NIL contracts, you've got that. Now, you step into the world of professional golf in the game versus the business of it to the competition and who's the administrators of it. Well, you've had two main people there, the RNA and the European tour and then the PGA. So this kind of grandfathered in like, well, this is the way you go do it. Norman's done this, gosh, it's the nineties. He wanted to do a, a world tour because he just didn't like the way that this is just segmented. So like, let's bring them all together and have some competitions. Well, whatever reason, you know, Norman's a little bit of firebrand, that didn't go well, and then he took his ideas into the World Golf Championships. So that didn't sit well with him. So that's the whole backstory there. And then now you fast forward to today where you've got, you know, all this money being out there for, you know, advertising, endorsements, all that. And like it or not, there may not be the equity of sharing that there wants to be, be for the, the top-tier players. Like, well, what's going on here? I still don't get – if I miss the cut – I'm the draw and I miss the cut. I don't get paid. But the sponsors and all that that are there paying for that's one thing. But the PJ Tour makes money because they're using my name like to go sell tickets. So there's that. The other fact is the sport is probably one of the only sports out there that does not have a guarantee. European Tour has a guarantee to go pay your expenses. The PJ Tour doesn't. Basketball, all that, even those lower two guys have a salary to go make their make their lives at least comfortable while they're giving their skill sets to their employer. Golfers are 1099 guys. So that's the other question. This is if you're an independent contractor, do you have freedom to go play the tour that you want to go play and play a tournament you go play? What do those contracts look like? But the Saudis, I mean, they got I mean, I'm not speaking any human rights or anything like that, but man, they got a lot of money. And you offer somebody that's in that, that world of that, in their probably 40, 45, fails for 52, what are you going to go do? You can go basically take the money and run for the next five years and be set. You know, yeah, it's exhibition tour right now, but knowing Norman, what these guys are going to do, it's probably going to be pretty cool. So for us, you know, for the golf sanctuary and all that, I mean, there, and there will be one. I don't know who's going to do it, but there will be a global worship professional tour where you got your mailman, you got your plumber, you got, you know, the commercial lender guy out there mixing it up, playing for a lot of money, but they're, they have a day job, but they're able to compete with the best of the best because they're, they're given that opportunity. So it'll be fascinating to see what, how this plays out. You know, it's, I, I, I do think if it wasn't Norman and it wasn't Saudi money, if it was some other money, <laughs> You know, it would be a different story, but because it's Norman, because it's Saudis, which, I mean, the Saudis put a lot of money in the EP and all that. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of Saudi money going around out there. So, like, it's just this, this, really? You're, you're pissed about this? I think even one time, like, what, 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 who was it? It didn't, and I got to look this up, so don't crucify me if I, if I get this wrong. I think, I think Arnold Palmer got some kind of, some big golf club. From and a lot of money, a lot of money back in the day from some Saudi prince or some oil prince back in the day. So it's not the first time it's happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get political on the show, but if if you want to start objecting to working with companies or groups that have ties to Aramco or Saudi capital, it's going to close off majority of the economy to you. So before we wrap up, you, you did write this book about, you know, folks that have been able to be super successful in life and business. Could you maybe give us, and, and obviously you've had a ton of experience yourself in the commercial real estate investment space. Could you maybe give us two or three common elements that you see within people that are able to experience that level of success? Yeah, I give you. I give you two. This is the the, the the cool thing about being the collaborative author with these books, and hopefully, link link those things in there to, to your podcast. The first one that I got in listening in to John Asaraf, which was part of the one of the people in the secret. You guys remember that that movie? 
you said something really, really interesting when his mentor said, it was like, are you interested? Or are you committed? If you're interested, you'll do something that's convenient. If you're committed, you'll do whatever it takes. I was like, wow, I hit homes. So I always ask people when we were talking is, are you interested or are you committed? Are you interested in, in, in taking these idle dollars and getting them a home and making them a work above and beyond inflation that's tax advantaged? Or are you just, you know, just interested? The other one is from Bob Berg about the go-giver. And it's about adding value. Your value in this world is not what you get, but what you give. And if you want to be truly valuable, be, and create value in your own life, find ways to add value to those that have that, that are valuable. So you're looking at a world of, and you talked a lot of a lot of people who are high net worth people, but still struggling with that W two. I'm working for somebody, but you're still adding value. Well, how do you add value in a different way to a different group of people that's going to open up your database? And open up your network to all sorts of things, monetary, non-monetary. And, and the last one that that is not necessarily in those books, but it's kind of a theme throughout, and a theme a theme in our lives. If you focus on the money, you'll always be disappointed. Money, money, currency. You this whole debate there. Money, money, and currency. As it's a medium exchange. If you focus on that, you're missing out. Completely missing the picture. If you focus on the adding the value and adding like what, what kind of life you want to have experiences you want to have. And what does that take? Who do you need to be around? The money magically happens. The currency magically happens. And sometimes it's not the dollars. It's sometimes the other things it's trading out. So those are some, some cool things. Not like the bartering systems coming back into the play, but that's the value. That's the value out there. So those are kind of three, three themes I, I saw there. So, Hopefully that get sparks some ideas from the listeners here. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's terrific. I would say that there's a YPO saying that you talked about leveling up and this community. And one of the, one of the biggest takeaways I've had in YPO world has been when I walk into the room, I want to be the least motivated person there. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Cause I mean, I, I grew up in the world of Oklahoma state university wrestling and, and golf. I mean, I, I was on the, Got to watch everything practice at wrestling, which has 34, 35, 36 national championships. I don't know how many Olympic gold medals. Actually get to work and live at the Olympic Training Center. So that's my world, like that hustle world that you just know. Pain cave. <laughs> yeah, you just, you, just, you just know what it takes to, mm-hmm. to be elite, and you just go do it, and that's what you go do. And some people hasn't had that experience and that opportunity. To, you don't know like what the hustle that it takes. I mean, not say the hustle, but the room that you got to go be in. So if you come by the room with a hustle, great things happen. And that's where, you know, going back to the the, the last point there, which I wanted to chat on is these people that are, and most people are, get a little bit nervous and crazy about the economy. And I too, two years ago, like freaking out elections and monetary policy and like all this crazy stuff you can see happening to the point where I was not sleeping and had ulcers and all that. And I went to an event with a, a friend up in, in Lancaster as a ministry background, but they're doing real estate, Michael Manthai, and it was, it was good. And I just had this piece about me in this, this thought this came out of my head going, you can't prepare for everything. There's no way to prepare from all sides. There's at some point you just have to, Pick up your sword and shield and just walk. And you just got to trust your hustle and you got to trust your tribe. And that's what I've been living in. It's like you just trust your hustle, trust your tribe. No matter what happens, I trust I'm going to be able to figure it out. And I trust that I'm going to be around some people that can help me figure it out. And we're going to not only survive, but thrive in what are thrown at us in, in the next few years. I think that's a good place to end. Billy, thank you so much for joining us. It was terrific. If people are interested in learning more about the golf sanctuary, just getting within your investor community, being in your world, getting your newsletter, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, I've got a, a simple kind of landing page for, for me. It's billybrown.me. Kind of gives you a little overview of, of what I am and how to connect and and uh, love to love to have a conversation on, all, on, on any of those. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm sure I'll see you again soon. Keep up the good work, man. It's awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. 
If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.